0: Hello, and welcome back to the No Approval podcast with me, Pilla, where I explore how social media is impacting our lives, how it's impacting culture, and of course, how it's impacting our careers. Now, this week, we are switching things up a little bit. I've given you the interview episodes, and now it's time to get into our first ever deep dive. So today's topic is something that we should all be familiar with, whether personally or through people we know in our network or people we follow online. Because unless you've been living under a rock, you might have noticed that home ownership is living in our heads and it is living on our social media timelines completely rent free. So if it's not ourselves, we all know someone who's either posted a pic on the gram, you know, with the infamous picture, a set of dangling keys in front of a door, or someone who might have shared their frustrations at the fact that they can't get on the property ladder, they can't get a mortgage, even though they are literally paying the equivalent of mortgage repayments in rent every single month. Or maybe we have shared or liked an amazing before and after transformation renovation picture. I know I love a reno page, but either way, it's undeniable that this topic has had social media in a chokehold for years. And listen, it does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're a boomer, a millennial, Gen Z, or whatever else there is. Collectively, as a generation... We are obsessed with home ownership and we are not afraid to share it on social media. Now, what has created this obsession? I think it's partly due to the nature of social media, right? We all have a platform, we all have easy access to share what's happening in our lives, our wins as well as our frustrations. But I believe like what is really driving it is the headlines in the newspapers, in the tabloids that have just been going on for years. I remember a couple of years back, it was in The Guardian where it was reported that millennials could buy houses if they stopped buying avocado toast. Now, we all know that is a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) But that hasn't stopped the takes from coming in. Most recently, Kirsty Alsop from Location, 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 she said... Now let's just let's just really take this in for a minute. She said that young people could afford homes if they stopped their Netflix subscriptions, their gym memberships, their holidays, if they looked at moving further out from where they are, so if you're in London basically, move out of London. Now, I thought, okay, this sounds a bit suspect to me. So I headed to Twitter to see what the conversation around this headline was. And I was not disappointed. A lot of people had a lot of things to say and it inspired a lot of threads. There was one in particular that stood out to me and it was by... Mrs. Mummy Penny UK and she basically did this thread where she was just like let's all just be a little bit more honest about how we paid for our first home and I think she said that basically she was like 24 she was dating this man who was 10 years older than her that basically covered the whole deposit and it created a whole bunch of conversation with people sharing some people were like they got 100% mortgage which means they didn't even have to put a deposit up front some people obviously had the bank of mum and dad some people only had to put down like a grand you can go find the thread and have a look through and I was like okay this is good this is definitely transparent some of the comments were hilarious they were tongue-in-cheek I wasn't even sure which ones to like take as gospel or who was just trolling basically but um one thing that I noticed is that a majority of the stories came from 10 years ago so that wasn't as relevant to the current time's you know, the life and times we're currently living in. So I wanted to put this episode together and really set out to find out what does it actually cost to be a first-time buyer in this current market. So I'll be speaking to a property expert on that. I also wanted some real-life examples of people that have got on the property ladder in the past two years so I wanted recent examples so all the contributors I've spoken to I sourced on social media then I wanted to look at what happens after you buy the house because there's this whole other corner of social media that is dedicated solely to the aesthetic of your home and renovating homes and flipping houses. So I'll also be speaking to Ori at Home, who runs a renovation page that has got a lot of traction in the past kind of like six seven months she's got over thirteen thousand followers just from sharing her renovation journey and also being very cost transparent on what make your house look aesthetically pleasing like the houses you see on Instagram but before we get into that I first had to ask why is home ownership so important to the current generation on social media
1: My thought process was very much from a monetary generational wealth standpoint, as opposed to a social media flex standpoint. It was more, this is gonna be good for my future. And I couldn't care less whether or not my friends or some strangers on the internet knew about it. This is about building my future.
2: So um, it was a mixture of things. My mum's place, I felt that we had pretty much outgrown that as like children and turning into adults all in the same place. So um, where my mum lives is a three bed flat. It's one level and there was two brothers, myself and my mum there. So it got to a point where even my youngest brother was basically using the living room as a bedroom because there was no space for two grown men to share a bedroom. And I thought, you know what, Um, if I can get myself to a position where I can move out and give my brother, you know, his own space, then that would be great.
1: Most people I speak to are coming to me for advice and I ask them, oh, so why do you want to buy a property? They're like, oh, it's the right thing to do, right? if you break down that statement what it really means is i saw joe blogs on twitter post i just bought a house at 16 years old that's partly that's partly what it is isn't it for sure
0: generational wealth seems to be the most common answer that is coming up every time i ask anyone why home ownership it's almost like it's sold to us as something that is, you know, hashtag goals in the sense of it's you building for your future self, your future family, something that you can pass down through generations. Or in the other instance, it's circumstances like you can no longer stay where you are whether that's space whether that's a cultural reason there is several circumstances that lead people to home ownership there's also several routes for home ownership so I sat down with property expert Topsy Taiwo he's been featured everywhere from ITV News Channel 4 Lad Bible. he got his start in the industry at foxton's as an estate agent and he's currently the founder of property purchaser which is a platform dedicated to helping people get on the property ladder he also creates a lot of content around property just kind of advising people on the best places to buy different available options for mortgages etc so let's hear from topsy So let me ask you something, right? From when you first got into the industry to now, how have you seen the narrative change towards home ownership? And how do you think social media is kind of driving that narrative?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because I bought my first place in 2014, 2015. And I didn't think anything of it. The reason I bring it up is because at the time I would have been, what, 23, 24 years old. And I just didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, this is standard. This is, this is normal. No big deal, yeah? Um, Twitter, I feel, was in that middle stage where it wasn't as popping as what it is now, and it wasn't as popping as what it was when it first came out. So I didn't feel as though that part of social media was really the, the place to have that conversation or to post about your home ownership achievements. So I just didn't really have the thought process to post it anywhere. Fast forward now, seven, eight years, People, the moment someone buys a home, the first thing they do is they post a picture of their keys on Instagram. They tweet about it. They might even get a podcast episode about it. They may even go on and you know, get a news article written them about it. There's just so much more attention and focus on that achievement, which I don't actually think is a bad thing because being able to buy a home before the age of 30, I think is a really uh, amazing achievement. But I just feel that over the last seven years, that social media narrative has become so much more pertinent and it's become so much more in your face now compared to what it would have been seven years ago.
0: A lot of people are seeing younger people buy property, which is putting the pressure on more. But do you know, like, what is the average age of a first-time buyer in this country?
1: I love that you've brought that up because it's amazing how many people don't know this. But the average age of the first-time buyer in this country is around 30 years old. In London, it's around 34, 35 so when you take into consideration that that's the average, it's the average. So there's people at 37, 40, 41, 42. This isn't the oldest. This is the average. So there's a lot of people who are living at home at 30 and they kind of feel like, uh, oh, I need to get my life together. And hold on a second. That's the norm. Like That's the norm. Don't believe what you see online. It's, That What you see online is very different from the facts and figures. We can often get caught up in media hype and narratives, and we're all very guilty of living in echo chambers, but facts are facts. So look at the data and don't just focus or pay too much attention to to narratives you see online. Because the fact is that if you're 31, 32 living at home, you're, you're still doing relatively well. You're normal.
0: There was a headline that inspired me to do this episode, and that was the one that said basically... If you cut off your Netflix, you should be able to buy a property. So Topsy, can you help me run the numbers? What are we looking at for somebody that wants to get onto the ladder? And I know that obviously London will be a lot different to out of London.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And firstly, on that Netflix point, um, I I thought it was just a very out of touch, ridiculous statement to make. And lo and behold, it came from who it came from. We don't need to say any more on that, but that's all you need to know. Um, as far as the numbers and what it would take to buy a property in London, I'm all about not just telling you how miserable it is, but about finding solutions. Um, mm-hmm. As much as it's as much as much it's wrong to say that you should cut off your Netflix, blah, 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 uh, in order to be able to buy a property, I also do think it's important to um, get people to realise that actually it's not as miserable as it can often come across because you only ever see what the average price of a property in London is And first-time buyers aren't buying at the average property price in London. They're buying at the average price as a first-time buyer, which is way less than the average price of a property in London. So the average price of a property in London is around 500k. In order to buy a property at that level... Hold
0: on, did you say 500k?
1: 500,000 pounds is the average price approximately for a property in London at the moment. Oh, wow. It is, yeah, yeah, it is. So if we're basing numbers off of that, let's just assume you had a 10% deposit, like you've magically been able to save up 50 grand. That would mean you would need a mortgage of 450,000 pounds, right? Now, in order to get a mortgage of that amount, a bank will typically give you four or five times your income. So let's assume you're earning 100K a year, you'd be able to get around 450 grand loan. So you basically need 50 grand saved up and a 100 uh, grand a year salary, plus I would say another 10 to 15,000 pounds available for buying costs in order to get the transaction through. So that's to buy the average property in London for stop.
0: What happens for people that earn less than 100k? Like how do they how do they run their numbers or how can they make this situation work for them? Is this the reason why we're hearing that people are being driven out of London?
1: Yeah, 100%. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's definitely a lot harder today to buy a property in London or in the place that you were brought up in or you grew up in than what it would have been 25 years ago. That's just facts. We can talk about cut off Netflix, work harder, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. The facts are it's harder financially to do that. And that's because the rate at which wages have grown have not been anywhere near as fast as the rate at which house prices have grown. So from a factual standpoint, it's just financially more difficult. But there is the same grace to this. There are so many other schemes out there today than what there would have been back then, such as help to buy, shared ownership, right to buy, the lifetime ISA, uh, the first home scheme, which I believe is launching soon. And the government is continually trying to you know, offer help, which I do think has its pros and cons. But at the end of the day, if it wasn't there, it would be even harder for these buyers to get onto the ladder. So that's what I would first say you should look at. Look at your options that you have available to you to buy. And then to round this off, the second thing I would look at is look at the average price of a property for first-time buyers, because it's way less than 500 grand. If I take where I live, for example, in and around the Watford area, average price for a one or a two bed in Watford is around two hundred and fifty to three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds.
0: Is that a flat or a house?
1: That could, it could be either what it won't be a large house, but there are some terraced houses in Watford for around the three hundred fifty to three seven five grand range. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it might not be in the location that you wanted to live in, but if you're a commuter, you can get from Watford to King's Cross in fifteen minutes. From King's Cross, you can then get to most places in London in, in Central London under 10 minutes. So, And Watford is a great up-and-coming area. There's, I, I think we were speaking before this. You've been to Watford before. There's some nice restaurants there. But There are a lot of these commuter towns dotted around London where you can get a property on a 45 grand or a 40K salary with around 15 to 20,000 pounds saved up. So it becomes all of a sudden a lot more achievable to get on the ladder than what you see on the Daily Mail headline of it's 600 grand to buy a property and you need to be earning 120 grand a year.
0: If there's one thing I love about social media and the internet in general is our access to information. We are literally one click, one swipe, or one share away from having our questions answered, just like Topsy did with property. But we all know it's one thing hearing from the experts and sometimes it's another thing putting it into practice. So I put a call out on my Instagram page looking for recent first time buyers who are willing to share their stories. And my first chat was with Candice McKenzie. She's a DJ and events producer who had to move out of London to get her first property.
3: I bought my house, I exchanged contracts in 2021, and I found the house in 2020. I wanted to buy in 2019, but I thought I wasn't ready. But I suppose if I had looked as further afield as I am now, I would have been able to afford it, but I was looking quite close to London at the time. So my journey started about five years before that, or five odd years before that, 2016 I think it was, I decided that I was going to buy property. So I had my job, had my day job. And I remember going to this event and it was by these girls. I used to do this um, like networking event called Pursue Your Passion. And I remember going to one and there was, you know, that TV presenter, Claudia Liza. She's on like Channel 5 now, I think. Mm -hmm. But she was on Sky at the time. She was there. And she was saying like, OK, look, there's no excuse. If you're earning a certain amount of money, you can be able to save a deposit. And I think she said at the time, if you're earning at least £35,000, you should be able to save a deposit. Now, I wasn't quite earning that much at that time. I wasn't that far off, but I wasn't, definitely wasn't earning 35000 But I was thinking, okay, I'm not that far off, but I can't seem to save the money. But then she came out with things like, you know, you do need to cut back on everything. And she meant everything. She was like, you can't go shopping. You can't buy expensive hair extensions. You can't eat out like you just need to live that basic life and save and everything that she said that day really, it just resonated with me. I was like, you know what, she's right. So then what I did is I i suppose took stock of my wardrobe, right, and I said to myself, I'm just gonna buy myself like two new jumpers, one new skirt, a pair of jeans or whatever I'm just gonna get myself now because this needs to sustain me until I've bought my house. I'm not going to shop anymore. So that was the first thing I did. I took stock of what I had and made sure I had, you know, enough things to carry me through, but knew I wasn't going to go shopping. And then I realised that I needed, because I wasn't, she said 35,000, and I still feel like probably need more than that. But I knew that I needed more money, so I knew I had to get another job. So I was ready. Working um, for Premier Radio, really I was working for Premier Gospel, but I just had the one show, my specialist show that I do every Monday. So then I put the feelers out, and I remember saying, Oh, if there's any extra shifts, I'll be interested in doing them, especially if it was like morning, because I knew I could go and do that before my regular job.
0: So you have a nine to five as well? Yeah,
3: I have a nine to five as well. And then I was doing radio. So just as a bit of like context and stuff, like DJing and radio is my hobbies, my passion, but it's like turning into a job sort of thing. So um, I was doing the one show for Premiere, and then I put the feelers out. I was looking for another show because what I actually said to myself was, okay I know I need a second job to save in but I knew what I didn't want to do and I think this is also really important to say because saving for the deposit was really really hard even with me doing a job that I really really enjoyed which was doing radio so I think it's important that if you're going to be looking for a second job that's going to be taking your time that you should try and at least do something in the field that you like if that's possible so I said to myself well I know that I don't want to do like cleaning and I've got nothing against cleaning like if I had to do the cleaning I would have done the cleaning but I just knew that I didn't want to do that and I also knew that I didn't want to work in a bar because I don't drink so I don't want to be in a bar all night serving drinks to people that's not my vibe right and I wouldn't have felt no way if I had to go work in a supermarket or anything like that like when I was younger I had two jobs and when I was like in college and stuff I remember working in Tesco's and working in Clark's because I was always buying records and I spent a lot of my money on records so I think I'm I have that kind of I suppose hustle mentality I suppose I'm used to doing stuff like that but I just wrote down what I wanted to do and I suppose I'm good at talking. <laughs> so I decided okay, I'm gonna try and get some more radio work, which I did. So after I put the feelers out, they said to me, Oh, there's a there's a shift on like their sister station, just covering someone for I think originally it was for like two weeks, and then that two weeks turned into I think three months and then two years, and then like and it was also something because I'm a Christian, like i prayed about it. So when I I think when I did it that first week or second week I remember driving and it was a really early shift it was a breakfast so I was leaving my house at like I don't know about five in the morning or something I was in my car in my dusty banger and we'll get onto that as well um I was in my really really old fiesta And I remember praying I remember just saying oh god this is actually really quite good for me because I'm earning this extra money it can go to the deposit and it is something that I just kept doing a lot of freelance work for Premiere, and that helped with the deposit. So I would definitely say that if you already have a job and you're finding it hard to save, then getting a second job is really useful.
0: So in total, how long would you say it took you to save for your house? And also, how did your outgoings change once you switched your mentality to it's time to save for a deposit?
3: Yeah, Okay. so it took me... Um, I would say maybe about four and a half years, five years to save the deposit. I think I was putting aside about £400 a month.
0: So you bought your property last year. What did you buy? Was it a house? Was it a flat? And also what area
3: did you decide on? So I bought a house. Uh, I bought a two bedroom house in Margate. I didn't actually plan to move out as far as Margate. Are you from London originally? I'm originally from London, yeah. So I originally wanted to move to Herne Bay which is um, still in Kent. And that's a place where I'm I'm always at peace. Like I love to go there. I was always there. A lot of people say it's where a lot of old people are and stuff like that. But for me, I was just always happy there. So I originally wanted to buy a property in Herne Bay because for me, I thought, okay, that's quite far out of London anyway, but it's somewhere where I'm comfortable. Um, and the train journey isn't that long, like to go into work and stuff like that. Well, I suppose my search criteria was a little bit wrong because I was originally looking for three bedrooms because I wanted to have like a room for like an office. And to look for those three bedrooms, that's what made it really quite expensive. So I just basically continued looking down the A2 <laughs> until I got to Margate. I know the sort of the road changed, but I basically just kept going down the A2, the two two nine and A twenty eight until I got to Margate. Um, the prices they were reasonable, but if I had looked at Margate in the beginning, I would have been able to afford it a lot earlier. Because the prices really did skyrocket when it was the pandemic. And it was really quite hard to buy when it was the pandemic. Because I actually, I suppose in my dreams, in my plans, I thought I'd be ready to buy in September 2019. And technically I was, but I was looking in the wrong area. I didn't really have the budget for Herne Bay. So then just before the pandemic hit, I remember going to look at a property. It was in Herne Bay and it was, it was about February 2020.
0: Uh, another question for you, you know, when you were renting in Woolwich, can you just kind of break down for me what your fixed costs were in terms of rent, bills, electricity, all of that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, so rent was $800. Um, I lived in a one-bedroom flat and actually I had a really nice really nice landlady and one thing i would say is if you're saving for a house and you're renting like just pay your rent just I know things might not, you might not be living in like a modern flat or it might not be, you know, but that's not your forever home. You're saving to buy your forever home. Like my flat that I lived in was nice, but it wasn't modern. Everything functioned. Everything was nice. You know, it was warm. It was dry. It had heating. It had hot water. What else did I need? You know, it was, it was just a one bed flat. I had a landlady who never bothered me. I paid her on time. She she left me alone kind of thing. And I got to save, whereas, you know, if you're going to keep flat hopping because you're looking for like a trendy flat or something like that, you're going to be just wasting money, in my opinion. So rent was about 800. And then council tax was probably about 74, I think, 75 pounds. And then electricity and gas. I would say, on average, £40, £50 pound a month. The flat was quite a warm flat. So everything, I never spent a lot of money on gas. It was always warm in there. And then like you just have your shopping, bills, TV licence. I mean, I feel like I definitely spend more money now I'm in the house. Um, and when I was in the flat, I could definitely learn how to keep my bills down to help save
2: so um i work in the pharmaceutical research sort of area Um, i'm a clinical research associate and when i started doing more research into what it takes to buy a house how much i'd need to buy a house that's when i figured out the actual amount that i would need to save so then um i decided to become a contractor so i could make more money in a quicker amount of time So when I was permanent, my last permanent salary would have been about 42K, 42 and a half K. And then when I went into contract, I believe my first contract role was 300 a day. Let me just work out how much that is. So that took me to about 66K. Instead of giving things up, I just strived to earn a lot more and tried not to change my lifestyle too much. So I'm a strong believer in, like, you need to be able to enjoy your life at that moment in time. I wasn't going to or put myself into such a state of struggle to be able to save. Because at the end of the day, let's say you save the amount you want and you struggle all that time. To maintain being able to pay for something that you struggled to get, you're going to have to continue struggling. I wasn't born for that life. I wasn't at all. So um, I just thought, no, I need to be able to be comfortable. So I still lived comfortably. I went out. I went on holidays. I lived a normal life. I just earned more. So I was able to save more.
0: So what's your current status? Have you got a house? Have you bought a house and when did you buy it?
4: We bought our property in May 2021. So I bought with my now husband. At the time, we were engaged. We'd been engaged for like a year or so. And because of COVID and stuff, obviously, we started planning the wedding. But because of COVID, we kept on having to change our plans constantly. So we're like, you know what, let's just buy a house now. And then obviously, we're getting married towards the end of the year. So it's fine. And we did get married in August 2021 as well. So it was just basically putting everything together, essentially.
0: And if you don't mind me asking, what was the a range of price or price of the property? And how much did you guys put towards the deposit? And how did you go about raising the deposit?
4: um so yeah so we paid 815,000 for a three bed house and um in terms of the deposit we put 130,000 down um on the property and in terms of that we split it so my partner he does add a lot more than me so it was really a case of so when so to help in terms of giving a bit more background when we we're living in his flat he used to pay about 600 650 pounds uh for that mortgage so we had an agreement that when I moved in with him, when he when he bought the house, that whatever he put towards the mortgage, I would save in monthly savings. So that if we split up, that was my money now to use potentially on a future deposit for my own property. However, we stayed together, that money would now be used towards buying a property together because that was our end goal to have a, a space that we had. Um, so all of that money that I'd been saving whilst he was paying for the mortgage I obviously had that and I also had additional savings um we both used to uh, work for a company that gave us RSUs whilst we were in retail which I still had access to so I sold my RSUs so that gave me probably about
0: sorry do you mind yeah. giving giving like some context what's uh, sorry just because I don't know <laughs> just think, what's an RSU
4: <laughs> No, that's absolutely fine. So an RSU is essentially a restricted stock unit. So it's basically like shares a company gives you, but it's based on how long you stay in that company. It's an incentive essentially. So let's say, if so, let's say I could buy shares for I don't know Microsoft, right? I can invest in that. But uh, if I was an employee for Microsoft, Microsoft can give me I don't know a hundred RSUs, and let's say the hundred RSUs are worth whatever the value is of the share price today. But the 100 RSUs, they won't all be given to me at once. They'll vest over time. So typically what companies will say is when they give you the RSUs, the first batch of them, they'll give you, let's say, 25% at a time. The first 25% won't come until you've stayed for a year. Then the next few will come over each quarter. So at this company that I worked at in retail, um, they gave us some RSUs. So I had held on to mine for the last five years or so because I was just saving them until I needed to cash out. Um, so I cashed those out. So that probably gave me about 10 grand or so. And then also I have been investing. So I was using things like Vanguard. I also had my own savings. So I'd set up a Marcus account, all these things. So basically when it came to the deposit, it was basically whatever I had scoop it all up and put it into this house. Um, so that was through the Marcus the um, RSUs that I sold, and also the the other savings accounts that I I had. I have different pots for different things. But at this point, I was like, I need to buy a house. So let's just club it all together. And then with my partner, he also had RSUs as well from his current company. um, But he's also very frugal. So he's always been really good at saving, like the kind of person who doesn't necessarily buy himself many clothes, or, you know, he tends to spend occasionally, when he does spend something, he'll probably go big on buying things that He's really interested in, so he's into tech and stuff, but it's not a purchase he makes every month. It's probably like once or twice a year. So he's really, really frugal. So for him, it was a lot easier. um, And also that salary, um, I guess, because he's on a higher salary as well. So it means you've got more disposable income to be able to save that cash. He also had RSUs from his employment. And also, um, his company also offered um, something called ESPPs, so Employee Stock Purchase Plans. Um, So what that allows you to do is uh, when you work for a company, if they have this, if they're on the stock market, they will allow you to buy shares in the company um, and they're usually at 15% of the lowest price during the six-month cycle. So let's say the share price starts at $30 on the 1st of January and then by the um, by, let's say the thirtieth of June, the as the cycle ends, the share price is now I don't know twenty dollars. Whichever of the two figures are lower, they'll give you that, but at fifteen percent of that price. Does that make sense? So you basically get the the shares at fifteen percent discount. So you'll always win, I guess, in that respect. Um, so he had ESPPs in the company that he worked in, so he also cashed those out as well. So it was a combination of RSUs, uh, ESPPs, and also just general savings. So that allowed us to put together that deposit.
0: What would you say your rough salaries are? You don't have to give me exact, you can say roughly.
4: So for me, it's probably around the around the 50 to 60k mark. And for my partner, it's about 120 to 130k.
0: And how do you feel about the narrative that's on social media about people buying property, especially young people? And I'm saying when I say young, I would say like under 35 under 40 even?
4: Who? It's, it's a good question. I think, I know there's that thing that happened last week with Kirsty and I do think what she said was a load of rubbish and obviously I'm in a very fortunate position that we've managed to get onto the housing ladder, have a property for for this value at such a young age but I don't think that's necessarily representative of the majority of people. You know, I think the key thing here is that if you think about it, our parents' generation, you know, straight out of uni They could afford a property in London for like peanuts. Whereas for us, like neither of us can afford this property without each other, right? It's like because of the salary multiplier, it's like you are kind of almost dependent on having a spouse or somebody else to buy that property with. If not, you have to look at um, potentially living much further outside of London or using government uh, government schemes like help to buy or shared ownership to be able to afford a property. And I guess also using those schemes also comes with its own problems as well. So I think it's very interesting. I think for young people, it is so much harder just because of the, the, the stringent policies in place. I understand why some of them are there, obviously, because you don't want a housing bubble. But because of the cost of living and also the salaries now no longer matching, I think it's like seven times. I think the the cost of housing versus salaries is like seven times now. So if you've got a salary multiplier of 4.5% for a mortgage, you're still way out of reach. And I think the other thing is as well, I think sometimes when people see things on like social media as well, when they see... Um, other people who've bought a house, it does put that pressure on of like, oh, I'm not in the housing ladder yet. Like what's going wrong with me? But then I look at some of my friends and I know they've definitely got help from their parents to, to afford that. Like I had a friend who I used to, who I used to work with, whose um, parents, like I think she was probably on about 45K, bought a 500K house. There's no way that that would have been possible without the help of her parents. Right. I don't think there's necessarily always that transparency on social media when we post things like, you know, you buy your house uh, or you buy X thing, like you don't necessarily, people don't necessarily see what's gone in to get that individual to that stage. And that's why I'm saying for me, like I said, I'm in a fortunate position, but that wouldn't have been possible without my partner. And it's also crazy that, you know, he's on 100k plus and without me, he still wouldn't be able to afford this house. So it's like when we're already dealing with with salaries of such scale, but it's still almost not enough to be able to afford something alone. That's when you know there's almost like a problem (laughs) with the current housing market.
0: And when you guys got your house, congratulations, by the way, what was your approach? Did you guys put it on your social media? Did you announce it? And what is it like when your friends ask you how you got on or
4: do your friends even ask you? Good question. So I've actually had conversations with some of my friends about this. So when we when we did buy the house, I did post it on my social media. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I have a private account anyway. So it's not like the whole masses of the world can see if that makes sense. I think with some of my friends who, I, who I've who i worked with, um, so we're all on similar sal- salaries, I can definitely have an open discussion with them to talk about things like this, you know, how much the house has cost us. You know, some of my friends have that awareness in terms of like, you know, the salary of myself and my partner. So we have that understanding because I guess you, you're almost in not necessarily similar circles, but you're all heading in the same trajectory. But with other friends, I wouldn't necessarily be able to have this conversation with them about it. Because um, I've definitely seen in the past, there's sometimes elements of jealousy that can come out in different ways, if that makes sense. So it's a bit of a challenge, but I think sometimes you can get snide comments from friends around things like you know housing markets in terms of being able to get onto the housing ladder or even just disparities in salary. Like with some of my friends, I can't even necessarily talk to them about how much I earn now, just because the reaction it would elicit would almost be as if like it's an us versus them.
0: Mm. Do you feel like people can view it as in because you've done it with somebody else, that they some form of privilege there?
4: Oh yeah. Yeah, so I could definitely see that, um, you know, somebody might view it as being privileged that I've managed to purchase with my partner. And I'm sure if I was single, seeing one of my friends who bought with their partner, I would be looking at them as being privileged that they have a partner to buy a place with. And I, I also view it as being privileged that I do have a spouse that I can, I can do that stuff with. You know, even if we extrapolate it out to things like, for example, even without a house, you know, going on holidays with somebody or even renting and having somebody you can split those bills with, it does really lighten the load of like, you know, the disposable income you have to be able to then Um, save for things or buy things that you want when you're splitting things in half. Whereas if you're having to pay for everything by yourself, it does become a hindrance to an extent.
0: If there's one thing I've learned from all the conversations I've been having with first-time buyers and property experts, is that cutting off your subscriptions is not enough to get yourself on the property ladder. But it can definitely help towards it dependent on your other circumstances. So don't just be cutting off your Netflix, cutting out your gym and thinking you're gonna get a house next year. Doesn't quite work like that. And it was really interesting to hear the different ways in which people have had to get on the ladder and also the different routes they've taken, the different locations they've had to consider and also just individual circumstance. Are you single? Are you on your own? Do you have a partner? But when it comes to social media, getting the house is just half the battle. There's this other side of social media when it comes to home ownership and that is the look the feel the aesthetic right because i don't know if it's just because as i'm getting older i'm surrounded by more people that are buying properties and because of that their content is changing whereas it was all about what we're wearing how we're putting on our makeup how the hair is going to be laid now it's about like how we're living how we're decorating and I think also with the fact of everyone being stuck inside with the pandemic your surroundings became more important than ever because already our moods were on the floor or in the bin right we were stuck at home and our surroundings became more important than ever and also the fact like Being on a Zoom call for work, the background's gotta be saying something. Do you know what I mean? You either play it really safe with just a plain white background, maybe add a bit of paintings, but I know like as nosy as I am when I'm on a zoom with someone, I'm looking at the background, it's just part of the conversation start, oh. Love that in your background. Oh, that's an interesting painting. Oh, what plant is that? You know, just a general conversation starter. And I think that everyone just became obsessed with interiors and aesthetics. I've said this earlier in the episode, but I absolutely love a before and after Renault picture. I love Renault pages. And I really wanted to get the other side of home ownership because getting the house is half the battle. And now you've got to decorate the house or you've got to flip the house or you've got to renovate the house. So I sat down with Ore. She runs an Instagram renovation page called Ore at Home. She started this in the plight of the pandemic and has grown to 13,000 followers in less than six months.
5: So I started the paid pretty soon after we got the keys. So we got, we completed on the house purchase in June. Um, so kind of so June 2021? 2021. 2021, yeah. Yeah. Um, so soon after that, I kind of started just posting like little things. Because obviously we hadn't yet got any kind of complete room. So it was more like, oh, these are the tile samples I'm thinking about. And just kind of some of the process that I was getting to, to actually um being able to start working on the property. And then obviously it became much more, aesthetically pleasing the more the house got done and we actually had kind of like completed rooms and things like that so I think those kind of images the ones that have kind of mainly gone like viral have only been over the last couple of months because we actually only moved into the house in November
0: ah.
5: um, so it was about uh, five-ish months of doing all the work with the builders and we uh, lived at my parents um, and then we moved in in November just kind of before the Christmas period and um, that's yeah when I think the account really took off
0: before you bought your house or before you started showing your renovation journey, what kind of things did you feel like were missing that you thought you could bring to the market or bring to the table through your own account?
5: Um, I think, I mean, to be fair, I I would say that I think the home interiors account world is oversaturated. There there are a lot of home accounts and a lot of different types of accounts. I wouldn't necessarily say that there were massive gaping holes. For me, one of the things that I found scarce within the area was people I guess being cost transparent so that was something that I was really kind of really focused on if I'm going to share something I want to be able to tell you how much it cost me where I got it from make it really easy for you to know up front for you to get this aesthetic or for you to get this small tiny grid picture is going to cost you this so instead of just looking at an image being like oh it's beautiful and then actually finding out it's like 20 grand you know from the offset exactly what it is I'm, I'm promoting to you or what it is I'm telling you Um, So yeah, so that element of cost transparency, I wouldn't say nobody was doing it. So it wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's a massive gap in there, but it was definitely not that many accounts that were open with it. And I I struggled with that when I was doing my renovation, because I would look through accounts, get inspiration, click the photo, then they've obviously tagged a company. So I've then got to go to the company's website to see you know, what it is they've tagged. I then got searched the company's website to actually find the particular item that they've tagged that I like. And then at that point, I might then find out it's 700 pounds. And this whole exercise was a waste of time because I I couldn't afford that 700 pound light, you know, like 20 minutes earlier. Um, So yeah, just trying to, I guess, uh, increase that transparency upfront um, was definitely something that was important to me with my page. Did you get a shock with your first renovation? Um... I would say yes and no. So I did a lot of research before we started renovating this property. Um, So before we even closed, I think even before we even fully offered, we had to know that we had enough money up front to be able to do the renovation. So I think that's what I think a lot of people aren't, not necessarily aren't aware of, but don't consider. Often you get given advice that, well, if you want to get on the ladder, buy a rundown property because it's cheaper. So at least, you, you know, you've got the bones of a house and it's actually, you can get on the ladder Easier that way than trying to find something that's finished. However, once you've got the bones of that broken down house, actually you need a lot of upfront cash as opposed to a mortgage to be able to actually do that house up. Definitely, well, not often, it is more expensive upfront for you to be able to renovate a property that may be cheaper because it was run down, but requires all this work for you to be able to live in it in the first place. So yeah, so we did a lot of research up front, myself and my husband, to what the rough costs would be. We actually um got builders in as well. We were, had a really nice estate agent who let us bring builders in to view the property with us. Is that Um, before
0: you made your offer?
5: It was, we'd made an offer, but it was before the offer was accepted and before we'd started the process of actually contracting lawyers and doing. So could have still pulled out at that point in time, but they knew we were serious enough to say, we want to make an offer and also we want to bring our builders around because they knew the house would require building work it was pretty much unlivable otherwise so yeah so we did all that work up front we had a rough idea I would say the rough idea and the budget we had still wasn't enough to to what was needed really um, yeah, yeah we still we the budget left us a long time ago but at least we we had an idea about kind of how much we needed to have and whether or not the house was feasible to get it to the level that we would be comfortable living in um with the savings that we had so see so, yeah, I wouldn't say that was a surprise what I would say is that other people I've spoken to or people that see this build the Bill posts who haven't maybe got yet to that stage of either doing their own renovation or looking into the costs, are then shocked. So I think people that haven't done that research will hear potentially the cost of people's kitchens or the cost of like little things like a microbe oven. Like the, My microbe oven was more expensive than my actual oven and things what? like that. Yeah, like, I don't know why. It's like it's like a thing that they're just more expensive than the ovens themselves. And that for me was like, wild. like why is a microwave oven like a thousand pounds? So things like that, I think, um, hopefully shining the light on some of those, even like little things, like I said, like the, the cost of appliances, people will then start tallying that up in their mind when they're thinking about potentially doing it, you know, later down the line.
0: Do you know the one thing that I didn't know um, cost so much until I started seeing a lot of it across Instagram when my friends were like, Buying
5: houses or renovating their houses,
0: is like things such as switches.
5: Oh my god! Sockets. I was like, literally, what? <laughs> one like literally that whole thing over there probably is like no $16.99 per switch. But then it's, it's not even so much the in. I mean, the individual price is mad, but it's more that when you tally up how many switches, how many sockets you need in a house. So even though it might seem like oh, it's only twelve pounds, only you know fifteen pounds, you need like twenty five of them. Wow. Um, at any given time, and so. Yeah, switches, I think, switches, I can't remember how much you spent, but it was definitely over, like, a £1,000 or something on just switches and sockets. It like, all tallies up, like, even, like, painting. You know you don't have how much people charge you for painting, like, just painting rooms? Mm. Um, yeah, if they're, if they're happy to paint, I'd say grab him. My I, I was not, I didn't do those background checks before I got married, so my <laughs> husband was not comfortable with my unfortunately. But, you know, he that is so
0: guests. funny. Um, Speaking of your husband, though, like, how much involvement or influence does he have on your page because we do see you guys obviously you're up front but we do see you guys do it as a family is it um a family project or are you kind of leading on interiors
5: um so in terms of the instagram page it's just me that's leading on it and i refer to him on the page but his his face is not there and stuff like that um in terms of the house he would say he had 50 percent input i would say it's probably closer to 10 maybe (laughs) five um but yeah, so he's 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 great, and he obviously trusts my kind of interior decisions. So for the most part, he's happy to run with whatever I want to do. But we are still a team, and that I obviously run things by him. Like, oh, I want this room to be pink, so we have a pink another pink living room, and obviously he had to okay that before the paint went on the wall. But um, before but yeah, he comes home and yeah. just yeah. gets a shock, like what's going on exactly. here? To be fair, that's sometimes the best way. There are things <laughs> where I've just done it, and I'm like, oh, you didn't know? I didn't mention that. that I'm doing, <laughs> oh. I thought I did, you know, so it's it's a balance when, when, when to ask for, you know, I usually ask when I know the answer is going to be yes anyway. And then if not, I kind of just do it. And then he learns to love it later.
0: As someone who comes from like a finance and banking background, did you have any reservations about putting yourself forward on social media or inviting people into your home?
5: Mm, not really. Um, I would, like I said, I would say that when I started the page, I didn't actually think I would get the number of followers that I had anyway. So I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of, well, oh, what if there's thousands of people that have access to effectively what is my private family space? Um, I think the more I've been doing it, the more that my account has grown, I am more cognizant of not showing certain things and keeping some elements of of privacy, um, with what, with what I share. But I think, yeah, I think there just has to be a balance and, and this, and actually that side of things is is one thing I do discuss with my husband and my husband has input on in terms of when I'm typically things like spill the bill or things that I'm sharing, I will confirm with him that he's happy that this knowledge is out there because he paid half of that. So he needs to be okay that we're sharing that we spent this as our overall cost and that his friends or people that know him could know that information. So there's a balance for 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 me, the focus of the page has always been interiors. So I'm happy to be very open and share things in regard to the interior and the renovation of the property. We don't share things like how much the property cost, what we bought it for, stuff like that, because that to me is not relevant to the interiors focus, which is what the page is about. You know, online can be a brutal place for. You know, a lot of people, a lot of accounts. So ultimately, it's just I guess for them. I'm speaking on their behalf. I don't know, but it could be them protecting their peace in terms of you know you don't want to show yourself, your family, your kids. Someone leaves a comment, you start feeling away. It's now tainted the experience of posting on Instagram for you. I think I think there is an element of particularly if you're showing your showcasing yourself, having to have a bit more of a thicker skin. Um. So so yeah, I can I can definitely see both sides to showcasing yourself or not. I just think for me personally because it was about the renovation journey, the home. It was about how I got from A to B. It wasn't a finished product. It's not even a finished product now. We obviously have done enough for us to be able to move in and for us to be able to live here comfortably, but there's still phase two, phase three of the renovation. So I think if you're trying to follow someone's journey, often it's more engaging um, and more honest when it's you see the face of the person you're following as opposed to it just being a photo on on a grid. But I'm happy that I'm able to hopefully push some business as well towards mm. those people that did good work for me so that especially carpet,
0: during that, a pandemic
5: yeah that like so my, my carpet guy is always like oh you know I've got someone who booked me because they saw your page or stuff like that so I'm just hopefully helping um other people save time because also it took me a lot of time to come up with the ideas about what I was going to do um and how I put it together so if I can save somebody else some time by saying actually I like it exactly like that I'm just going to pick that out of the out of Instagram and put it in my house, then um, I'm happy to do that.
0: And have you got to the stage yet where since you're getting people booked and busy where you can get like discounts or get gifting yet?
5: Yeah, so um, I would say quite early on, actually, I got a lot of like gifting opportunities. I think um, particularly now a lot of brands are seeing the value in smaller accounts Mm. because of the fact that although you might have a smaller number of followers, um, your engagement is often very high. So those people are like really your tribe and they really kind of listen to what you say they're rocking with you, by what you post. exactly so i would say from even when i had much smaller numbers not not double digits the gifting opportunities were there and um, i would say now as i've become i think what they call a uh, micro influencer. so that's when you kind of move over ten thousand. yeah and um, the focus for me is obviously taking it bigger working with bigger brands um you know making it hopefully financially lucrative as well for me to be, able to be kind of running the page um so i think that will all come with time as the page continues to grow so we'll see we'll see what happens as we as we keep going um in terms of what content people are sharing I think um I would say which I think is a positive thing a lot people are moving more to being more transparent with things even if it's not so much sharing the cost of the items um I'm seeing a lot more people declaring that it's an ad that it's a partnership that they got things for free I know I think legally they're required to do so but you still used to have people that might put it in the small print or it was really hard to know that this was kind of a collaboration a hashtag in the middle of 30 hashtags (laughs) exactly whereas I think now influencers are being a much more um much more upfront with that and even brands for example ones that I'm working with when they give you the brief for kind of what you should be posting or how you post a lot of them are saying upfront can you please put ad in at the first sentence or in the first three words so they also want you to be Um, transparent about that. I think that's definitely a direction people are going in. I think that also helps people, I'm hoping anyway, helps people that are consuming the content realise that actually, if you don't have a home account, if you're not working with brands, don't beat yourself up that you're not completely renovating your house in like two days or that you haven't got everything you need or the budget for everything you need immediately. Because a lot of these accounts that are showcasing this stuff to you are getting things sent for free, having things shipped super fast because they are an influencer and there's a project going on. So yeah, just I think hopefully people declaring it helps others manage their expectations about what they can expect if they're doing their own and they do not have the same privileges as somebody kind of working in that space.
0: Mm, Love that. Love that. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. And that is a wrap on our first ever Deep Dive episode. Shout out and a massive thank you to all my contributors who helped me shape this episode. So Topsy, Elaine, Aure, Candice, and also shout out my anonymous contributor. Even though we haven't got your name, love you all the same. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone for your transparency, your time, sharing your views. I'll definitely be doing a part two of this conversation as I feel like there's so much more that can be explored in terms of hashtag reach on certain words, looking at the different narratives, because not everyone believes in home ownership. There is definitely a narrative out there as well of people who are kind of don't see the point of home ownership. They think that basically it's like you're now in bondage with a bank with a mortgage for the rest of your life um, and then also there's a lot of people who do see the value in home ownership, but simply can't get on the ladder for whatever reason it may be and it's not that they don't have the earning potential or it's not that they can't afford the monthly repayments. There's different barriers, whether that's a deposit or whether that's personal circumstance. So that's definitely something else that I want to explore a little bit more. But in the meantime, if you took anything away from today's conversation, then please leave a review. Please give us a rating. I will leave everyone's Instagram and Twitter account, website, in the show notes so feel free to reach out to anyone who you heard today you can also hit me up as well on at pillar of society on twitter instagram join tiktok so come through um but yeah that's the end of today and i'll see you guys next week where we're back with an interview episode so thank you and bye